listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider, Brandon Jaggers, Jeff Riggs, and the sexiest voice in equine podcasting, Cece Broadus. The Auxiliary Gate, big problem. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode number 165 of the Auxiliary Gate podcast. I'm CC Broadus, your reluctant host, joined by Alan Schneider. Alan, how are you? I'm good. Um, I'm an even reluct- more reluctant second banana or uh, side chair, I guess. No, I'm just kidding. I, I enjoy doing this, whatever. But um, I'm great. How are you? Wonderful. We're also joined by the hot tip machine, Jeff. Jeffrey, Big Riggs. Big Riggs. I like that. That's good. How's it going, brother? <laughs> it's going very well. I'm I'm feeling ready to go limber hey, today. Jeff, if it wasn't for you, if it weren't for you, I probably would not have had a big day, as big a day as I did on Sunday. Your, your fairgrounds banter brought me through, brought me to the front. Aw. Oh, I love hearing that. Love hearing that. I almost hit the pick six at Fairgrounds on Sunday. So just close single to Amos in the in the last race and the, the even money on gave me a run for my money there. We had the lead coming around the turn, but just didn't quite have enough to get home. But I'm glad you had a good day. All right, so that brings me to our question of the week. Would you on a regular basis rather be alive to a giant payoff four thousand dollars or more? Or have a sure thing and bet a hundred dollars to win and know you're going to win three hundred dollars. But let me rephrase that. Would you rather be alive to a giant payoff on the regular, knowing that you're probably not going to hit most of the time, or know for a fact that you're going to come out ahead two or three hundred dollars on a certain day? Uh, uh, that's tough. I mean, it totally depends on what you're alive to. You know, if I'm alive to an even money shot, I'll take that. But if it's, you know, if it's something that you're not going to be alive to very often or whatever, the, the sure thing's very hard to turn down because, I mean, you'll never lose money making a profit. Uh, I'll be honest. I think this answer is pretty easy. Uh, you just said $4,000, correct? And you said three hundred dollars. Well, there's only going to be at the maximum twelve hundred twelve horses in a race, correct? Well, so, all right. I probably asked the question wrong. Right. Like you're not going to be alive to that all the time. I mean, probably five, six times a year, maybe. No, I would hope more. I would hope more than that. Yeah, but well, I don't. I mean, you know, I'm just speaking yeah. my own experience. Right. I got would you. you. Would you rather have that money in your pocket, knowing that you're going to cash on the regular? Or would you have rather have that chance, say, five times a year to be alive for four digits or more? I mean, uh, four digits is not, I mean, I, I mean, there's four, a thousand dollars is different than nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine. I mean, I, I see where you're going and stuff. I would, if I'm only alive to that stuff five times a year, then I should be playing it anyway. I, I guess is the way I'm looking at it. You know what I'm saying? Um, I should be alive to that more often than that. Or I'm not playing the stuff right, um, but then I mean, it's I don't say it's easy. It's 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 fairly commonplace to win two three hundred dollars a day, you know, with even minimal investment. I'll put it this way: if you're alive, let's put it, if you're alive to four thousand dollars, and you're alive, you're going to win two three hundred of a course a day. You take the four thousand dollars because there's twelve horses at the most. There's going to be twelve horses in a race. Twelve times three hundred is thirty six hundred, and by percentage of standpoint, you'll you have a much better chance of hitting that. Uh, doing better long term, hit for four thousand, then you win three hundred because it's just just a law of averages. You're going to win that more often, right? To as far as a a profit standpoint, I didn't explain that very well, but I think you see what I'm saying. I hope I didn't. Well, I don't do a very, I don't do a very good job with questions of the week. <laughs> I, I hope I didn't jack your question up. But I think you get my point, but yeah, yeah. Uh, if, I, if, if if that's the scenario, yeah, I think my short answer is whatever the math says. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that's part of it. Yeah, that's so. part of the problem, though. You don't know what the math is going to say a lot. You know, when you're playing horizontal wagers versus straight win wagers. It, it you know, I don't. 
that's true. But you, you, if you, again, you, you shouldn't be playing horizontal wagers. I mean, vertical wagers are different because the superfectus can pay or trifectus can pay more, much more than you should or, or less than you should. And there's a guessing game to that to some extent. Horizontals, you should have an idea when you put that ticket together, when you put your sequences together. You should have an idea of, okay, if it falls this way, this is what it should come out. If it falls this way, this would have come out. If it falls this way, then I've got too much in a, too much cheap stuff anyway. Maybe I need to pare this down a little bit and get rid of some of those shorter prices. I guess is what I'm saying. So you can, I almost say, I think it's, it's easier to get an idea of what they could pay on a horizontal than a vertical when you get into the bigger, bigger numbers. But again, I'm probably just talking out of my ass. So, <laughs> well, the whole point of this discussion uh, is was playing around with sports betting the other day. Okay. And it just, I, it, I, I, it doesn't appeal to me yet. It still doesn't appeal to me after what three months of doing this. Like I just mm-hmm. don't get the thrill out of placing a, a wager on a, on a football game like I do on a horse race. I just, I, I, the, the, the idea of getting even money, I, I don't understand the appeal to, for sports betting. When I mean we've had this hammered in our heads on Twitter over the last two or three years that you know placing wagers on even money horses is, is ridiculous relative well, to their chances of winning. I understand, but agree. But again, that's even money in a field of eight, right? As opposed to in a football game where you're closer to even money in a field of two. I think that's part of it, right? So uh, you can have an overlay on in a, in a in a game where you're. I mean, you think the underdog's going to win. And uh, so you're getting plus 120. So let's say that's six to five in, in horse racing parlance, right? And if that could be, that is an overlay in a two horse field. If you truly believe that that, uh, if you truly believe in that, in that two horse field that this horse is going to, that this team is going to win in an eight horse field and like you have in horse racing, no, that's not a good bet, right? If it's, if the horse well, it could should, be, it could be a good, it, it could be without question. It could be, I, I guess that's part of it. And so, so, and a lot of that stuff is for bigger money players, people who have serious money who, and this, I'm learning about it. I'm, I'm, I'm still not, I'm like you. I'm not quite as interested as other people are. I see more of a lure than, than I used to. I will say that. But, um, and then uh, the, the flip side of that is everybody I know is into it and stuff. And I know a lot of people don't care a lick about horse racing, but Jeff, would you, do you, would you agree that there are people betting football now that I never would have imagined betting anything, quite frankly? Yeah. It is for me, and the in the interest is, you know, I I definitely don't dig into it nearly as much as I do with horse racing, but you know, it, all my friends are into it now because of that, with with betting being legal and everything. So um, I dabble just because of that reason. I, I definitely, you know, my handle's not like my horse racing; right. it's just because it's more of, you know, it's just like a, a hobby kind of thing. But um, it it is fun, and it's a social thing, and that's kind of my interest in it is. You know, in a group text or whatever, we get, we all are on the same side of something and rooting together, and that's that's the fun in it for me. Yeah, I'm learning. My brother does really well. My friends, my friends have tried to get me to do it for a long time, and it's never really like Cece said. It never really appealed to me because I had this mindset as like even money, I can go hit seven to one anytime at the track, and I hit a lot. I hit a lot of thirteen to ones. I don't try to hit thirteen to one, but but I've learned more. I've learned more about it and stuff, and it's fairly interesting. So, uh, but again. Uh, I, before I bet any real money, I would want to get really a little more knowledgeable about it. Speaking of knowledgeable, Turfway Park kicked off its winter meet last week, and uh, I think all of us want to sing the praises of uh, the, the track in Florence, y'all. It was uh, it, it, it's fun racing. It's it's something to do during the winter, you know, when there's nothing else to do, and and uh, uh, unlike what some people think, it's it's predictable predictable chaos at times mm-hmm. but that's that's all we can ask for full fields with uh with good payouts jeff what do you think everybody knows what i think i've, I've got some numbers to back me up but what do you how do you i know you, you're a big fairgrounds guy and, and such but what do you feel about turfway i am i mean i really like watching turfway I, i'm still don't necessarily have the hang of it as much as you guys do, so I kind of lean on you guys a lot for it. But it seems like so far early in the meet, if you lean on uh, the axe man, Juan Machado, and then uh, follow our recent guest, Caitlin Free, and her picks, I think you're doing all right. Yeah, it's uh, my thing with Turfway, and, and I say this every time it opens, and I, I get I do not like hearing the fact that it's just random. 
Um, there are times when it is going to be right. The 12 horse fields are going to lead to that, right? When they're, when they're evenly matched and they're of a little bit lesser variety, but no, I mean, it leads to overlay payoffs. It leads to overlay exotics. Uh, the pace, the pace has been pretty predictable thus far. Speed is not holding very well. The horses that make the last move are the ones that are winning. Um, you just have to be able to pass horses. Uh, everybody gets caught up in the horizontal wagers like the pick fours and the pick fives, but the vertical wagers are incredible. I mean, the payoffs are incredible. I've had a couple of tries. I can't believe they paid that much. Um, I, I could go on and on. Uh, I've got some number. Uh, this, the average win payout is fourteen ninety so far, which that's that's about right. That's what it should be. But then you take it a step further, and the average one dollar superfecta is eighty nine, almost nine thousand dollars. Every they've had thirty six so far. They've had thirty six races, and they've had thirty six superfectas. What that tells you is their fields are full, right? There's none of this. Hey, we tra- canceled the try. There's none of that. Those one dollar superfecta nine thousand dollars over thirty, and it's, it's going to continue to stay that way. It's consistent. That's nine hundred dollars for a damn dime. Um, the pick five average payoffs almost seventeen thousand dollars for fifty cent minimum. Why would why would someone not want to play that or delve into it or try to learn more about it? You're gonna you're gonna hit your cold streaks. You're gonna get bad rides. You're gonna you know you're gonna be completely wrong at times. That's the that's the nature of the math. But if you have any sort of sort of edge at that racetrack, I, I don't know why you wouldn't play it. Uh, but that's my yearly annual rant, right, CC? <laughs> Just my uh, initial takes. The Canadian horses are overrated for the most part. They always are. Uh, they always are. Trainer, jockey trainer combinations are vital. Uh, Bill Morey with Gerardo Corrales and Dougie Cowens with uh, Luan Machado. Wayne uh, Minnick and Joe Ramos. Anytime. Two- there's certain guys that when they get bet, they're going to fire, like Bill Morey, uh, uh, Juan Cano. Those guys are going to fire when the money arrives. I mean, it's it's a just a waiting game. You just can't you can't bet every race like every other thing in life. You just can't do them all, but you can pick your spots. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you can't you can't bet every sequence, but some sequences are going to some sequences are going to call you to bet. It might this day it's maybe it's the trifecta, maybe it's the double. Maybe it's maybe it's the exact. Maybe it is the pick five. Maybe it's the pick three. We could go on and on, but uh, the sequence the sequence should be telling you. Maybe it's the win bet. I mean, what's wrong with getting fourteen to one on a horse? Um, so again, Machado's been on fire. Uh, Corrales is doing very well. Uh, there's gonna be some sneaky guys. Adam Bashitz is running uh, pretty sneaky good. We're gonna talk to guys. I know it's gonna heat up here in a second or whatever. Once, um, but there's, I mean. I just can't understand why someone wouldn't want to play it personally. If, if, if you do, if you like playing this type stuff, but um, and you as Jeff mentioned, that Caitlin's been on fire so far. Scott Shapiro, their show's doing very well. I really like their show. Um, he's he's heating up or whatever. It, it's, you're going to have your cold spells. There's no doubt about it. But that's just part of life. Okay, let's move on. Uh, we want to welcome Brandon Jaggers on the show. Go. Always a happy time for all the ladies out there. Brandon, how are you doing? Bingo, doing great. I'm excited about Turfway tomorrow night. Excited. We've had a great guest tonight, and um, i got to close up the year at the work, at the workplace. Been real busy. Very happy, though. All right. Well, let's get right to it. You're you're just in time for the latest uh, game show by Auxiliary Gate Productions. We're going to call this Guest or No Guest. I'm your host, CeCe Broaddus. And uh, my co-host here is Alan Schneider. Alan, welcome to Guest or No Guest. Are you excited? Oh, I really am. This, I mean, this this should be awful ratings and stuff. And then uh, we want to introduce our two contestants, of course, Brandon Jaggers, who's been on the podcast uh, ever since, I believe, episode number two. Brandon, welcome to Guest or No Guest. <laughs> How did I miss episode one? It's a long time ago. Only COVID knows now. But uh, let's get to uh, our second contestant, of course, Jeff Riggs, who's never even heard of us until about six weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. I've been listening for a little while. Welcome to the show, get, uh, Jeff. Uh, so uh, here's the here's the rules of the game. It's called Guest or No Guest. I'm going to announce a name. It can be a celebrity. It can be a regular person. It could be uh, somebody in the racing game, uh, somebody outside of the racing game. And Brandon has to determine whether or not this guest has been on our podcast. We've done 165 of these. Brandon has been here for roughly 
seven of them. <laughs> Two thirds. Two thirds, but he's probably That's, talked to a lot of these people that you're going to mention. So two thirds is generous. But we're going to, and then if, if Brandon can't answer it, Jeff has the chance to steal, and it's going to be a best of seven. Brandon, if you can get to four, you will win a lifetime supply of my selections for the rest of the Turfway meet. Deal. Make sense out of that. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. Fire away. Right. Here we go. Number one. Has this guest been on our podcast? Excuse me. Has this person been a guest on our podcast? Number one. William Buff Bradley. Yes. The answer is yes. Is that your final answer? Yep. Final answer. Okay. That's it. Brandon gets a point. Okay. Good. Congratulations. Way to pay attention. I was there. I know that's that's the thing. You you, you have to get these because we're not sure if you're going to get them or not. So we'll see. Number two. <laughs> Number two. Chantal Sutherland, a jockey, female jockey. Yeah, I know who she is. I I don't recall that. I'd say, gosh, early years with us and her. Uh, she was prevalent at one point. I feel like I did talk to her. I talked to her to the backside. I'm going to say yes. Can I swoop in here? All right, uh, Jeff, can you steal? I'm going with no. Jeff is correct. Damn it. <laughs> but the fact that, the fact I, that Brandon I, said he talked to her backside makes me want to give him a point. Yeah, I did talk to her backside <laughs> because she was with Corey at the time, and we were hemming it a Holland, and she was going to Florida, and I was like, that sounds awful. Podcast. I got her number. Weirdo. We never made it happen. You were with you were with Corey Landry and Chantel Sutherland, and you were both hemming and hawing. Yes, at the same time. Okay, you got her number. You never told us that, Brandon. But anyways, that's right. another point. I'll for not letting us know. But okay, I've, I've just <laughs> now I've, I've realized the rules of this game are ridiculous. Because if if we go to Jeff, <laughs> then obviously Brandon's wrong. No. All right, it's one to one. Let's go. More about Come the on. comedy. Go ahead. All right. Let's okay. Go. Number three, Greg Holloway. Greg Holloway. I think Bed on Sunshine. Uh, we've hung out. Do you know who Greg Holloway is? First of all, no. Okay. I mean, we actually hang out with him at, at Churchill a lot. Oh, I know him. Yes, I know him. Okay. Right. Well, I'm in my pot on my podcast. Yes or no. All right, we're looking for a yes or no answer. I'm going to say no. Jeff, can you steal? I'm going with yes. The answer is yes. Greg Holloway (laughs) was on our podcast last November of 2022 when we recalled the, uh, the, the, uh, he he is the grandson of Mr. Holloway that owned Bet on Sunshine. Yeah. All right. I I got faith in you, Brandon. You're going to get this one. Jeff leads two to one. I'm a Lacey Pierce. That's not that's not part of the test. That's the same person. All right, <laughs> number four. Number Burt four. Reynolds. Not Burt Reynolds. Reynolds. No, number four. Donna Barton Brothers. Yeah, she was on here. Yes, final answer. Jeff, do you want to steal? No, I think he's right on this one. I'm going with yes. Brand is correct. It's it's uh, yes, she was. She was on here. <laughs> Maybe our first year, probably. Yeah, I don't first know. First episode, don't... she was fantastic. We were so flattered she was on, but yes, that was an upset. That was yeah. an upset. That may have been the first notable. Well, never mind. Brian Hernandez might have been the. Yeah, I think you're right. Brian and Donna were at the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. Okay, number five. Now it's getting thick. You can cut the tension with a knife, a butter knife. <laughs> number five. Mary Ann Summers. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Mary Ann Summers. Mary uh, Ann Summers. Is this before Alan's crush of Michelle Lovell? Yes. The answer is yes. Early on? I don't think we can give clues on this. Yeah, we can't give clues. If we give a clue, it'll be obvious. Yeah, All right. Look, I look don't think so. I'm going to say no. Jeff, do you want to steal? I'm going with yes just to go for the win. The answer is no. 
No, yes. Yes. And Alan, do you uh, tell us who Marianne? You bearded son of a gun. Marianne Summers <laughs> is more commonly known as Marianne from Gilligan's Island. So no, she has not been on this show. Don Wells. Uh, so congratulations for not getting that one, Brandon. She has passed away at the tender age of ninety something a few years ago. <laughs> no kidding, she's ninety years old. She wow. passed away, but she she's up there. I mean, maybe this is wow. by far the most entertainment I've had all week. I can't wait. Congratulations on that. But no, Marianne from Gilligan's Island has not been on this right. show. But. All right, the score is now Brandon three, Jeff two, and we're going to go on to number six. Brandon can clinch if he can answer this one correctly. Number six, Mark Sims, trainer. Oh, oh. Mark Sims. I remember Chase, you know, Chase uh, Miller. That's a jockey. Yeah, he, Mark Sims was on. He was on. Is that your final answer? Yeah, I remember. Yep, he's on. He's right on this one, because Mark Sims is my guy, and he was definitely on here. And the answer is yes, Mark Sims. On a roll. And and Brandon has won the game, and now we're going to go to the bonus round. We've got one more question. If Brandon wins this one, if he answers correctly, we'll never have to play this game again. <laughs> Number seven, Sam Bowie. What? Sam Bowie wasn't on this. No. Sam Bowie's uh, a harness guy. He used to be on the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission. What? What the hell? Oh, we got Is an Amber Alert. Amber Alert for everybody. Yeah. We got an Amber Alert right in the middle of the guest or no guest. Brandon? Sam Bowie. Sam Bowie used to play for the University of Kentucky. Yeah. Portland Trailblazers. I would have been on that if I, I would have made everything to do it. I don't know what happened. Okay. Yes or no. Yes or no? Need a final answer? I'd say no. Jeff? It's got to be no. The answer is no. Wow, we Brandon was on a roll there. What do you go? Yeah. <laughs> Brandon got five out of seven. Congratulations, Brandon. That's pretty good there, Craigie. We had, uh, we have had Tom Leach on the program. Yes. Hey, who's the one get you canceled on because you wrecked your car? What? I yeah. You said know. you were in a ditch. You couldn't get home. You were. We, that was you were, Michael McCarthy. We oh, yeah. No, no, no. It was Brad Cox. That's who you can't. We canceled on Brad Cox. Oh, you canceled on Brad Cox. No, that was you because you said you, you couldn't. You mealy mouth son of a bitch. That was, that was <laughs> your, your fault. Hey, what is this? The feats of strength? <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was cool. Brandon, you are our champion. Of guest or no guest, we're very proud of you. You come through. Alan said there was no chance. He had to set the over under at three point five. Yeah, yeah. I thought you would get all of them. Bullshit. Said somebody else. Like there's a few that I probably wouldn't remember. I don't. We'll know. touch on that for another time. All right, guys. So uh, that's uh, that's all Alan, for guest or no guest. Now it's time to get to our special guest of the evening. Hey, uh, thank you, CC. Um, I think if you follow the podcast rounds or you follow, uh, racing in, in Kentucky, I think you're going to have an idea about the story of our next guest. His, uh, his story is starting to catch on in this area. It's, uh, the story of an aspiring soccer player turned chef turned professional jockey. And because of that story, it, it is starting to get people around here to take notice. And the person they're taking notice of is a young man named Gavin Ashton. Um, from never having been on a horse at 20 years up until 20 years old, which I find amazing, uh, in London, a few short years later, Mr. Ashton is winning races at the home of the Kentucky Derby where so many great horses ran before. Um, you need to get to know Gavin. That's why we invited him on today because he's a name on the upswing. He's really performing well in Kentucky, Virginia. Louisiana, so we were thrilled when he said he would come on tonight. And with no further introduction, let's introduce you to Mr. Gavin Ashton. How are you doing, Gavin? Very good, very good. Thank you very much for the introduction, and uh, thank you very much for having me on tonight. I really appreciate it. 
Uh, first off, a couple things to anybody who has not uh, heard your story yet. Uh, so we get an idea. There is a touch of an accent that you have there that's slightly different than our Hick accents. Do uh, you want to tell everybody where you're from real quick and how old you actually are? That's right. I'm uh, I'm from England. Um, I'm from Manchester, uh, which is in the northwest of England, and uh, I'm 27 years old. 27 years old, Manchester. Man, I think I mentioned a moment ago something about being a soccer player, and you're from Manchester. Now, I don't know a lot about soccer, but those two kind of go hand in hand, do they not? They do indeed, yeah. Uh, obviously, the biggest club in the world, which I, I would argue, uh, Manchester United. Uh, I've been a fan of them all my life. Uh, my dad worked there since I was born, uh, so it was never going to be any other club for me. And uh, yeah, I've been, I, I've grown up supporting United, uh, which isn't great at the minute, but we'll be, we'll be back. <laughs> so before I get into the whole Gavin Ashton story, we get into the Gavin Ashton story. Again, I am a soccer newbie. When I retire from my job, I want to try to make it a point to get more into soccer, to get more into hockey. And that's, that's a really low hanging fruit goal of mine. So we know how the soccer thing goes, but when we talk to people like yourself from over there, give us an idea. How deep rooted is the love for soccer, the rivalries in soccer? Is it everything that we hear over here? It, it certainly is, yeah. I'd say um, I don't know what you hear over here, but I would. Um, I can't stress enough how how big it is. Um, I mean, you grow up and everybody plays football. When I grew up. Um, you you have so many clubs local by from I mean my dad had me as soon as I could walk he had me kicking a ball um, now I know not every family is the same and everyone's got different interests and everything but I've definitely grown up in a very uh, a, a supporty environment from a sporty family and um, I was playing football every minute that I could um, I know my dad was in the kitchen with me as three years old with a soft uh, football and just kicking it around. Um, don't get me wrong, I broke one or two things in in the house that mum wasn't too impressed with. But um, no, it's just you, you do, you grow up uh, with it over there in England. And yeah, the rivalries are absolutely huge. Um, I know you say that you've got big rivalries over here, but you could never have two sets of fans sitting together uh, in, a, in a stadium while watching the football. I mean, a lot of people would argue in England, like family people would say it's a lot better to go to a game over here of American football because obviously it's a lot more safer. Um, it's, <laughs> okay. it, it, it's, it's, it's getting to, it's taken to a different level in, in, in football in England. And it, it, it's stupid sometimes, but it's, uh, I mean, I, I love it. I love the passion of, of everything. Yeah. See that it really is. It is fat. And I love having people on so I can ask them things like this. Cause that really is fascinating to me because we mm-hmm. have Alabama Auburn here in, in football. We have Ohio state, Michigan. We have, uh, the Yankees and the Red Sox. We've got a, a, a right. And I know when Auburn and Alabama play, it's it's some hardcore stuff down there, but you're telling me that's nothing compared to over there, right? Nothing compared to that. Yeah, that's amazing. No, no I mean, the, 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 the famous the, the famous saying uh, in England, because obviously our closest to American football would be rugby. And um, they, they, they say over in England that uh, rugby – is a thugs game played by gentlemen and football is a gentleman's game played by thugs and it just and that really relates to the sets of fans really and they I mean there was obviously the history of the hooligans and everything like that back in the 80s way and the 60s way before I was born that was that was way too far that was extremist and that was that that was too much I mean that was just criminals uh pretty much but yeah, the passion for this for the sport is um, is like nothing I've seen, especially like when England are playing in big tournaments like the World Cup and the Euros. Oh, it's, uh, yeah, I've never seen anything like that worldwide. <laughs> yeah, well, I thought I was talking to a nice kid here, a nice chef. He's a guy who used to be a chef and rides horses for my friend, but I didn't realize I was talking to a thug. Anyway, <laughs> now that we're living that, yeah. Now that I found we're living that thug life, let's talk. We go from <laughs> soccer, and the interesting thing about you and this has been out. I'll, I'll let you tell the story real quick. That you went from play, being a soccer player to being a chef, and then it was a chance encounter that led you to horseback and riding races. So real quickly, if you could actually talk on that, that is kind of fascinating. 
Yeah, that's right. So, like I said, I was playing football from a very, very young age. I, I didn't. Um, the, the only thing I wanted to do was play play sport as a kid. Um, I wasn't really the most academic. Um, I probably could have been in it if I tried a bit harder, but I, I was just more focused on um, on sports. And I always said to my dad and my mum that I wanted to be a professional athlete, um, no matter what I did. And I tried every sport possible: uh, football, golf, cricket badminton tennis any any sport i i played it um and my size often held me back quite a little bit um and when i was playing um soccer i was never going to get to the elite level like i was never going to make it to the premier league i was nowhere near good enough um i could probably play amateur football at a low level um but um obviously i had a very good work ethic my mum and dad installed that into me from such a young age and uh, because I wasn't making any money playing football at the time um, they I got a job in the kitchen uh, in the local kitchen at the pub uh, as a pot wash at the age of 15 um, and I worked Friday through Saturday uh, sorry Friday through Sunday on the weekends uh, working long hours pot washing and um, I actually worked my way up as a chef um, Damn. Yeah, and I was I was honestly I was working on top of my study and I was working sort of like fifty hour weeks. I'd go in in the evening and then you'd work Saturday through Sunday. You'd go in at nine and you wouldn't leave the kitchen till possibly ten, twelve at night. Um, so that that was intense. Like that was, but I loved every minute of it as a chef. I really enjoyed it, just the hard work and the and the intensity of the kitchen. Um, so then during the week, obviously, I went and played football at Manchester City, uh, their college course. Um, I was there. And, um, yeah, it was it was kind of like, as my football career was like dying out, and I actually was going to come over to America uh, on a scholarship over here, uh, there was talks of that. Um, it was when I pouring myself a drink on the bar, and somebody said, Gavin, you're the right size to be a jockey. <laughs> and I was like, well... I, I can't do that. I've got absolutely. I, I don't own a horse. I've got no family or friends in it. I had, I'd never touched a horse, and this was at the age of like nineteen. And they started telling me, "Oh, you should go down to the British Racing School in Newmarket and um, go and go and sit on a horse and um, go to a trainer and get your license." So I was like, "Well, that sounds very easy to become a professional jockey." I was like, "That's that's perfect. I'll I'll go do it." And I went home, told my mum and dad, and they they kind of laughed like in a supportive way like don't get me wrong they've been so supportive throughout this whole adventure but um yeah they kind of laughed at first and um needless to say I went and applied and <laughs> I think that, that that next year I found myself heading down to Newmarket on a 14-week course and and uh yeah the rest is history I learned everything there and um went on to Samart Prescott's from there so I guess it's, it shows you a bit of a karma, a little fate there, because you you were searching for something to do with athletically, and just you didn't wasn't shopping around at the right. You finally found the right sport, right? So you found right. some of your athleticism makes money, makes you happy, and now you after some time over there, you venture over to the United States, and uh, I read one of the things that I read was it was um, you really enjoy one of the reasons you're excited coming to this country is about the food because you were a chef. You're excited to it's like, and I was like, "What America? You've been to Germany? You've been to London? You're excited about American food? I didn't really, uh, but hamburgers, Cracker Barrel, Waffle House. It was so exciting." <laughs> well, I mean, it's just the um, like the meat. I just absolutely love meat. So like the ribs and the steaks um, and stuff like that over here. Um, and I I love my food. So like the portion sizes as well is so big over here that I absolutely love. Um, and yeah, I couldn't get enough of it to be honest. Um, like all the the smoked meat and stuff like that, I um, I, I absolutely loved it. Um, so yeah, it's, it, that definitely was a was a pull for me. <laughs> cool. Um, well, now that you are over here and such, and you're you're gonna be riding a turfway this winter, but you know, I was able to get a hold of you through your agent Liz Morris. I know Liz is a big fan of yours, right? And uh, she does a great job. And of course, you also ride for a certain queen that we know named Michelle Lovell. So one of the things that when you come on this podcast, if you're going to come on here, one of the things you're entitled to do that you're required to do is just kind of brag 
on uh, Michelle. So if you want to go into that real quick and get that out of the way, feel free. All right. <laughs> Honestly, Michelle and Liz, I I cannot thank them enough for everything they've done for me and the continue to do. It was um it was a blessing meeting both of them. Um obviously I met Michelle uh, sorry, I met Liz um earlier last year, around this time last year, and we hooked up and she said that she would she she took a real liking to me straight away and Liz is absolutely fantastic because she's the hardest working agent there is. You know, that is she true. Is, that is true. She, she, she's she's incredible. Like, um, she really does graft so much, and um, she's just such a great person. Like, she really is such a lovely person, and um, she's she's been so supportive to me, and obviously works incredibly hard, and we work well together. Um, and it was when I was down at Fairgrounds last winter that I actually met Michelle through Liz. And Michelle was just great. Like she just was offering me advice on absolutely everything. You know, she took time out of the day to get to know me, um, to, to, to like give me hints on American racing and give me advice. And then obviously she started giving me chances down there, which she, she didn't have to do at all. Um, and she just did it because she's just such a great person. And I actually ended up getting my first ride at, um, Colonial thanks to Michelle putting a good word in uh, to Karen Godsey for me. So, yeah, and then obviously to ride a few winners for Michelle has been absolutely fantastic. So, no, Liz and Michelle, I cannot thank enough for their continued support and um, how amazing they both are. Yeah, well, yeah, as, as ironically, we don't we admit, they're both former jockeys too, right? I know no people know Michelle is, but people don't realize Liz used to Liz used to ride at Turfway right here a lot. So you, they do know they do, do know what they're talking about, right? Um, Correct. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you were at Colonial for a little while. You had success at Colonial. That's where I first started getting the uh, – you were on Jason theme. I, again, I just thought that was a wonderful interview Jason had with you. Uh, put you on my personal radar, and I'd ask these guys if they wanted to have you on. Of course, they were all for it. And you go from Colonial to success there, and you didn't have a ton of mounts at, at uh, Churchill, but you, in that brief meet that we just had, but I think the last couple weeks you had three winners. And what, what caught my eye was one, of course, was for Michelle. Is a first-time starter, and that horse come from dead last, flying down the racetrack, and then the next day you followed up with a, a, a horse called Tropical Storm. I think you won twice on, right? And yes. I believe I remember what really impressed me after closing from the back for Michelle's horse. The next day you're up on a, like a 44 and two pace, just sitting right off, and had tons left in the drive despite. So it, to me, it tells me like this Gavin kid, he can ride both ways. Whatever you throw at him, he's going to be able to adapt. Is that is that fair to say, or do you think you have a style? Um, no, I appreciate you uh, kind of recognizing that to finish because I, one thing that Liz always says that I'm quite good at is just getting a feel for the horse and just just riding what's underneath me. You know, um, don't I, I don't want to put the horse in a position that I have to force it. Um, you know, if it, it, things happen, you know, in races, if you're out last, then you're out last, and if you if you're up on the lead, you're up on the lead. You've got to ride the race accordingly and. You're right. I do feel as I can kind of adapt to that and um, just ride a sensible race, no matter where I am, and 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 read the race right and understand what I'm sitting on and understand have a good feel for the horse of what I've got underneath me. So, uh, yeah, I, I I would say that that is true. And now turfoil. So you go from the warmth of the fairgrounds spring. You know it's warm down there in the southern United States. You go to the the majesty of the Churchill Downs, the history, you know, they rained under, they run during the summer, the spring, real warm weather. Now it's time to go freeze your ass off down at Florence, <laughs> Kentucky over the winter, right? Uh, you've had a, you've had a couple mounts here so far, a new surface for you. It's a, it's Tapita. It's a different racetrack. As a jockey, as someone who's had a few spins around now, what is your take on the surface? I know what we think from the surface. We love it. Just, but then we're not on it like you guys are and stuff. So what is your take from someone who's a fairly bit of a newbie but has had a few uh, trips around the Oval? Well, uh, I'm, I'm I'm very lucky that uh, there's a track in England called Newcastle that rides exactly the same as awesome. uh, as Turfway does. So, yeah, I was very lucky that I was able to – I've had quite a lot of rides up there at Newcastle. Um, so the surface rides exactly the same as that um, – and I, I love the surface, to be honest. I absolutely love it. Um, it rides really well. And one thing that I've noticed is it's it's playing very fair. Um, obviously, yes, sir. I, I, I've only had a handful of races, but um, both in the races and of what I've been watching, 
it's it, it is very fair you know you can one two three uh can be sat first in the middle and last you know it doesn't there's there's not really seem there doesn't seem to be a bias at the moment um so that's that's great i love i love that in a racetrack and you said you've only had a handful of mounts so far but i checked tomorrow and you've already got three and three may not sound like a lot to a lot of people but this 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 jockey colony with the purses and uh like i think jason beam likes to say turquoise having a moment it is having a moment this jockey colony is, is swelling it's getting bigger people are coming here for the money they're coming from all over that caitlin free was on last week with us and she told us there's 55 or 57 jockeys in the colony so if you're not luan machado if you're not gerardo corrales if you're not declan cannon it's gonna be harder to get some of the mounts wherever so to be able to get three this early in your career talk i think speaks a lot to your town and and, and liz's work ethic so You've got three tomorrow for Catalano. I think I saw Kerry Brion, Rusty Arnold. Um, that's that's making headway pretty quick, isn't it? Uh, yeah, honestly, like you say, I'm I'm absolutely delighted with that. I couldn't have um, I couldn't have expected it to come that well this soon, you know. Um, and it, again, like you say, it's it's all down to the hard work of Liz and um, the the trainers that are supporting me. You know, I'm incredibly grateful. Um, and I've got four races on. Saturday and wow. um, one in the states race uh, for Cal Yumet and uh, Rusty Arnold. So that in, that support is just absolutely incredible, and I can't thank I can't thank them enough. And hopefully, I can um, I can repay, repay that faith and um, that that support. So yeah, it's it's going incredibly well so far. It is in, yeah. it is tough. I from what I've seen, Gavin, I have no no doubt that you will repay that faith, and it's only going to get better and better and stuff. And I th- you're one of my sleeper jockeys for the meet. Uh, it's a long meet, plenty of opportunities, but it really works as a good springboard to Keeneland and Churchill and all down the road. So I wish you nothing but the best. I mean, I'm going to talk to you again here in a little bit, but I want to get my uh, my cohorts opportunity to get to know Mr. Gavin Ashton, and maybe CC would like to take it from here, perhaps couple questions for you gavin what do you use to prepare for a race do you do you use a like a daily racing form or, or do you video replays or anything like that to uh to help you uh, uh map out how you're going to ride a particular race that's right so i use i use the drf the daily racing form so i study that um very closely and i mark off the horses that their running patterns their running styles um and then what I tend to do is from that I pick races that I want to go back and watch. So like if, for example, a horse tends to go to the lead, um, goes to the front, and then in its last race it didn't, I will go back and watch that race to see if maybe it stumbled out of the starting gate or maybe they purposely tried to mm-hmm. hold the horse up. So then I can get a rough idea as to, you know, what they're thinking and what the tactics might be this time. You know, if that worked last time, then I'd, if it, if they stumbled out the gate, then obviously I can just put a line through it and say they'll probably go to the front this time. But I, I also like to watch the replays to, to see, like try and work out horses' quirks. You know, if, if sometimes you can see that horses sometimes aren't the most genuine uh, when they get to the front. And if I could get in a fight with that horse and, get my head in front of it in the race then I know that that horse is kind of going to back out or if I put it under a bit of pressure it'll back out so if I can just get them small bit of details then uh, anything to give me an advantage then that's what I'll do but the DRF and then watching the replays is uh, is my go-to for, for my race planning. I read an article that said that you were mentored over the summer by uh, Vincent Chamino who's a regular rider in these parts but the, I think it was at Colonial Downs uh, tell us what you learned from uh, from Vincent uh, over the summer. That's right. Well, Vincent for me is an absolute incredible rider. Obviously, everything that he achieved in France um, to finish uh, third in the Art de Triomphe twice is just absolutely incredible. At the young age that he did it at, he's, um, I, I, I've watched him overseas quite a few times, and um, he he really helped me get to grips with the turf over here quite quick. Obviously, I've, I've raced on it a lot, but he said. He, he, it's kind of similar. Well, he says it's kind of the same, but a bit different riding on the turf here. He said you speed does hold, and he said you've got to you've got to ride a patient race as well as being aggressive. 
you know, you can't be just waiting, sat waiting nice with a double handful and think horses are going to come back to you because they don't here. So he definitely taught me that um, over the summer. And um, yeah, it was great. It was great to be riding there with him. Alan alluded to roughly 55 riders in the colony at Turfway. Mm. I, I don't know if I've ever heard of that in my life. It, mm. it, how many riders in one given night are going to be in the, in the Turfway room uh, on, a, on a racing day? That's just the men. I mean, there's a lot of in the female ones, too. Yeah, there, there, there's quite a lot in there. We are we are crammed in. Um, you know, you're sitting shoulder to shoulder with um, with a lot of the jocks, um, and there's not much room in there, that's for sure. But um, I mean, look, you it, it's competition at the end of the day. You know, what would what would racing be without? You know, we always want the best. The best horses racing against each other. So. Why not the same with the jocks, you know? It's it's just one of those things, and when you put the prize money up that's on offer this year, you're obviously going to get strong competition. And, um, I mean, I'm not... Um, I kind of uh, use it in a good way, you know? These are, these are riders, good quality riders that I can learn off and then try and beat, and it'll just make me feel ten times better when, I, uh, <laughs> when I'm riding past them, hopefully. <laughs> All right, let's throw it over to Brandon. Hey Gavin, so I'll just real quick. I, I guess uh, you alluded to some of the the meats and stuff that you like here, but at the same time, uh, have you had the Kentucky Bourbon just yet? I, I have indeed. Yes, yes, I did try that. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to go on a, a, a distillery tour, to be honest, but I've not had a chance to do that yet. Well, we'll work that out. We'll sidecar here, and then <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure you get on tour at an urban. Uh, uh, place or we can go to buffalo trace but at the at the same time are in the mornings are you going to work out some of these horses in the morning that's right so i'm i'm at the track every single morning um even even if um sometimes i don't have any breezes lined up i will be going to turfway i spend uh normally i'm at keeneland on saturday mornings breezing horses there um, I know tomorrow morning I'm going back to Churchill to go to Spectrum um, and breeze horses there tomorrow morning. So, uh, like I say, even if I don't have any breezes lined up, I will be going there, doing my rounds, checking on horses that I've maybe ridden in the past weeks, um, checking up with the trainers, asking how they're doing and asking how certain horses are doing and just making general rounds just so I'm a fresh face in people's minds when it um, comes to entries and that. So, yeah, it's... Um, me and Liz are working hard uh, together, and like I say, hopefully it will pay off. Yeah, what time does your day start on the mornings? Well, I'm actually very lucky. The track opens at um, seven o'clock yeah. at, at Turfway, which is which, that's that's a blessing, you know. Um, at Churchill, obviously, it's it starts at five thirty, so if you could have five thirty breezes um, at Churchill, but well, it's at Turfway. I'm I'm very lucky. I'd, I, I can um, I can get there about quarter to seven, and um, yeah, it's nice and easy to be honest. <laughs> I enjoy it. Good, well, good. Well, at some point, the the podcast is going to come up and visit one night when you. I mean, it seems like you're already getting carded. You know, four, mm-hmm. three, and four races a night. So we we wish you the best of luck on those, and uh, we'll come and see you ride in person. I don't I don't think I've been to the track yet to see you ride in person, but. Uh, I'm excited to see what happens, and uh, I'll pass it over to Jeff. Thank you, Brandon. Um, Gavin, you just you have such a cool story, man. I have to circle back around to uh, your footballing career. I read somewhere that you were on a football academy or college course at Manchester City. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that works? Correct. That's right. So, um, obviously, Manchester City is – Along with Manchester United, they're they're an absolutely huge um, huge club. Like they're absolutely massive, and um, like like Manchester United, they want to get as much young talent through to their squad as possible. Like they don't want players to go missing and go under the under the radar or anything like that. So. Um, what they do, they as well as all their like, they have an elite development squad. They're under twenty ones, they're under nineteens, and 
everything like that. Um, as as well as them teams, they offered they linked up with a college which is close to the area called Hopwood Hall College, and what they did they offered a um, a learning course, so you do get a degree at the end of it if the, you don't go on to play, uh, be picked in the squad, um, kind of thing. If you don't, if you don't go on to anything else at the club, um, you do get a degree at the end of it, and um, you you are based at uh, the Etihad Stadium uh, for the two years of your course and. Through the mornings, you're treated like a, uh, a a true professional. Like you, you go in and you train at their facilities in the morning, and then you have your your evening classes. Um, so it it was an absolute. Like I said, I'm a Manchester, a huge Man City United fan. But when that opportunity came up to do that, it was um, it was something that I could not turn down, and it was an incredible incredible opportunity. Um, it's just obviously roads led different ways for me. Um, which I don't, I don't regret. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's awesome. I wish we had something like that over here in the States. You know, that, that seems like a really cool setup to do with the, you know, that potential degree at the end and everything. Um, what, what year or years were you there doing that program? Um, so that would have been, that, that was when I, cause I did actually go to, um, I was studying, um, we, we, we call them A levels, um, at sixth form, which is a, higher degree of learning and I struggled with that because I I really just didn't have much focus and like I say I wanted to I wanted to be playing my sport um so it's when I wasn't really as successful at that for two years I think I was about 17 or 18 um so would that be 10 10 10 years ago nine years ago um okay. that's that's when that was Oh, that's great. Were, uh, were you able to train with any of the you know the top players in the first team while you were there? So we didn't actually we didn't actually train with them, um, but they was literally training two pitches down from from us. They kept um, they keep all oh, wow. the different teams very separate. But yeah, we we regularly um, was there with the we we had regular contact with with like the first team. We saw we saw the players quite often, um, and yeah, it was just it was just absolutely awesome. It, it, it really was incredible. That's so cool! Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, moving on to another cool part of of your career, as Alan touched on a little bit before, but as you were a, a chef for a while, um, I, I'm a I'm a foodie myself, and I, I just really wanted to know if if you had a favorite dish that you make or anything that um that that's your favorite thing to make that we just have to try at some point. Um, to be honest, like in in the restaurants, it was it, it was very different. Like obviously, I'd cook so many meals, and I'd just enjoy doing anything. Um. I did enjoy doing chicken ballantine, um, but one thing that everybody absolutely loves uh, when they come round is we we tend to host people, uh, our friends on a Sunday, and I cook up um, a Sunday roast um, which involves Yorkshire puddings, roast potatoes, um, roast beef, and vegetables. So that's I know everybody that. Um, from the states that comes around to us on a on a Sunday, they um they do really enjoy that. So I'd have to say that that is a big uh, a big hit. I would I would enjoy that. <laughs> Sounds incredible! Oh my god, it is good. That's great, man. I haven't had dinner yet tonight either, and my mouth's watering just thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, just uh, <laughs> turning back over to horse racing a little bit. Um, you know, as you said, you know, you were down at Fairgrounds last winter and I, and I saw you down there a little bit. Um, I follow Fairgrounds pretty closely and, and just seeing the progression from then to now, like not even a year later, is, has been pretty incredible with what you're doing now. I mean, even just this past November at Churchill, you had three wins, three seconds, two thirds from 18 starts, made over 150K, you've made over um, 700,000 in purses uh, so far this year. Uh, what are some things that you've done throughout this year that is that has really put you on that upward trajectory? Um, to be honest, I'd say focusing on my fitness um, is always a big thing. I do I do like to stay very fit because um, I just feel as though that helps you riding so much. Um, but I'd say keeping busy in the mornings obviously um, is is 
very important uh, to keep the the clock in your head. Um, also, during that time from fairgrounds to Colonial, I, I went back to Germany and spent three months there. Um, and I had, I think I, I had 52 rides and 10 winners there. So, um, and I, I rode in group races there as well. So, I mean, it's, I'm, I've been incredibly lucky um, this year. I've, I've obviously worked very hard for my luck, but uh, I've been very lucky in the opportunities that I've been given. And I would say, I'd, I'd just say it's the opportunity, just, just being given the right opportunities to show what I'm capable of is what has helped me kind of develop this year. And um, I do feel as on my riding is... It, it's constantly improving. The more that you ride, the better you become. It's, it's as simple as that. You know, if you're only having one or two rides a week, you don't really improve. So, like I say, I'd just say it's the opportunities that I'm being given um, to show what I'm capable of that is is really helping me. And, and a massive part of that is down to Liz that's getting me these opportunities. So, I, sure. I cannot thank her enough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That makes all the sense in the world. And, uh, you know, paying your dues and showing up in the mornings like I know you do. I'm sure, yeah. you know, you, you get in with those trainers and, and get better and better mounts and it's on upward from here. And um, uh, you touched on it a little bit. I'll, I'll toss you back over to Alan here in a second. But I just wanted to ask you real quick uh, about the differences in European and American racing and, um, you know, what what the differences are there and which one you kind of prefer style wise. So, I mean, it, it, it obviously is very different. Um, we tend to run a lot longer distance races, races um, over in Europe, which I'd say racing here in the States is quite one-dimensional. Um, obviously, you will go the same direction. It's all in an oval. The tracks don't really differ too much. I know I know the, the surfaces do and stuff like that, but obviously you're just going in a, in, in a circle type thing. And... Um, I mean, I like the style of racing over here because it's it's fast and it's aggressive. Like it's all speed based, um, and but I do I do enjoy like the longer distance races over here because you're able to ride a tactical race on it, um, and I do like the tactical side of it. Um, but for me, the, the 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 huge difference is the the speed that the races are run over here compared to Europe. You know, you go a lot. Um, quicker pace and rather than sort of getting the horse travel behind the bridle and relaxed um, over in Europe you're kind of constantly asking over here and and you you don't really want to be putting your brakes on or else you'll end up last if, <laughs> over here rather than in Europe oh yeah 100% well I mean thank you so much for just spending some time with us Gavin you know we've been watching you as we said and uh, we we know you're you're on that upward trajectory and can't wait to see where you go from here. And I'll turn it back over to Alan. Hey, Gavin, a couple of quick things before we, we wrap this bad boy up. Number one, does Ryan Gosling know that you took his blonde, uh, frosted gold, uh, golden locks? <laughs> no, <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. Maybe. And for those who don't know, uh, you are a blonde, right? It's some pretty, pretty blonde hair, correct? It, it is indeed. Yes. Yeah. And with with that leads me into it, we ought to have a shout out for your significant other, right? You, your your girlfriend is someone of a horse racing renown herself, correct? You want to give her a little shout out? I, I do indeed, yeah. Um, Isabella, she's um, she's absolutely incredible. Um, the amount of support that she gives me, I mean, like I say, when we we was meant to be going to fairgrounds for the winter, and when things changed on a dime. Um, she follows me everywhere, you know, she's been to England with me, she's, she came and spent two, three months in Germany with me, um, and she goes everywhere I go, um, she's obviously involved in horse racing, she does a lot of bloodstock work herself and works for America's Best Racing, so she's, um, she's a keen advocate for the sport and like, she, she, she really, uh, she really enjoys it and I, I'm incredibly grateful for her because like I say, she, She's my biggest fan and she supports me so much. And honestly, they, it, it's just incredible. So I can't thank her enough. I really can't. Sounds like you got a heck of a good life there, brother. You got three, you got three great women standing up for you and stuff. Got your back. <laughs> That's awesome to hear. Uh, I, I do. Yeah. It's Isabella Leslie, right? So just with people, Isabella it, Leslie. Yes, it is. Isabella Leslie. That's right. Yeah. One for the books here. All right. You get, you got a gun to your head, right? You get one choice. And I think I know the answer to this. Okay. 
Would you rather play for, and I may, may not be saying this right because I am a, I'm a soccer newbie, but would you rather play as a member of Manchester United and win the championship in the Premier League, or would you rather win the Kentucky Derby? Uh, this probably isn't the right podcast to be asking. Me. I know exactly what you're going to say. And I, 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 I'd agree with your answer. Go ahead. Um, to be honest, it, it, it's, I, I, it'd have to be played for Manchester United. Uh, yeah. It's been it's something that I've dreamed of since I was an absolute kid, you know, uh, since I was three years old. Um, I mean, <laughs> that, that that's tough. I mean, I'd have to say that. Uh, I know my dad would be proud of me right now saying that, but... <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people uh, aren't too happy with that. But don't get me wrong, I would love to win the Kentucky Derby. That is no, brother, <laughs> you, you made the right answer. You know, would I like to go out there and win a hundred thousand uh, dollar pick six tomorrow? Yeah, or would I rather put one into the right field bleachers at Yankee Stadium, right, or maybe score a touchdown at Lambeau Field for the Green Bay Packers? I completely get it, and I completely understand. A few yeah. people would know you won a Kentucky Derby. The whole damn country over there would know that you just won the won the championship for Manchester United, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. It, sure. Probably pay better overall over time too, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I will tell you what, Gavin, this has been a pleasure. I knew you'd be a great interview when I when I heard you earlier, and I'd already had the feeling that you're a great guy. Now I got to try this roast that you're talking about on top of it and stuff too, in addition to cashing tickets with your horses. So uh, we really do appreciate you coming on. Tell Liz and Michelle we said hi. Uh, and uh, best of luck starting tomorrow and throughout the next four months at Turfway and going forward. Okay, brother? Thank you very much, honestly. I really appreciate you having me on. And please, uh, you do. We will definitely have you around uh, to try Sunday Roast one time. Please, you'll, you'll have to do that. So you, you're all more than welcome to come. Yeah, we never, we, we never, we always use this podcast as a way to try to get ourselves free meals. So <laughs> thanks again, Gavin. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. That was a new rider on the Kentucky circuit, Gavin Ashton, making a name for himself already. Yeah. I, I can tell you right now, I, I knew going in that he was a good interview and a really good guy. And I'm sure you guys would agree. That he did nothing to, to disappoint. He is as genuine. He's a genuine offline as he was online. Uh, just and I'll tell you right now, of all the Gavins in the news right now, he's by far and away my favorite. What about you, Jeff? <laughs> I 100% agree with that statement. Alan. <laughs> I'm not touching that with a 10 foot pole. I don't care any. I don't care anymore. Go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> no, but I mean, Gavin's just as you said. He's a genuine guy, easy to root for, and. um I mean, he is. He hadn't been riding that long at all, as you said, and he, he, just the improvement is, has been inc- incredible, and I really think he's going to make some noise here. I do, too. He looked good at church. What did you think, Brandon? Yeah, I think when he rode Michelle's horse that day, I made a lot of money. So yeah. I remember he came totally off the base. That's really hard to do at Churchill Downs because, you know, it's always speed favor on the dirt. First-time starter. Let, yeah, he led a first-time starter around. So to me – Good job by that young man, and uh, I wish him all the best. I can't wait to follow him more. Okay, so not much going on in the world of racing. Uh, we've got a stakes at Turfway this Saturday, the likely exchange. I think uh, maybe 125000 for the Phillies and Mares, mile on the 16th. Uh, somewhat of a nondescript field, wide open race. Should be a, a good betting race. Uh, Oakland Gavin, Gavin has a mountain that race, as a matter of fact. But go ahead. Okay. There you go. And uh, Oakland opens this weekend uh, on Friday. Uh, you get a chance, you need to go down to Hot Springs and, and get a massage. That's what they tell me. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, and then uh, uh, actually uh, I don't know what else is going on in the world outside of uh, no, no no college football. That's that's gone now. And then uh, we've got the playoffs to look forward to. But uh, outside of that, I guess it's all Christmas shopping. Christmas is coming up. And one quick thing, we won't touch too much in this. Did the committee make the right decision? Who, who knows? I mean, what, who knows what the right decision is? Uh, okay. So you, since you want to you want to start this. I don't really want to start it, but, I mean. It, it, the people who run college football are profoundly stupid. <laughs> this is so stupid. And rich. And rich. They have five power conferences and four, and spots. four playoff spots. Yeah. What? How did how did that how did they come up with that idea? I don't. They're pegging a round hole, right? <laughs> they got sixty-eight teams in the basketball tournament. 
and they've got <laughs> playing games. But we can't have playing games in football. Yeah. Great point. Great point. Well, well they are going to 12 teams next year. So I don't think oh, anybody really has yeah, a right. So, yeah, so 30 years too late. Yeah. <laughs> but Back in they, the 80s and the, the 90s, they used to vote on this stuff. They used to vote on who the champion was. They wouldn't yeah. even play each other. They One would be in the Rose Bowl and the other would be in the Cotton Bowl. And they'd have split champions, too, right? You could have the split champion from time to time. People just forget the, that. The AP poll and the U, the UPI poll or whatever it was called back then. Yeah. People keep sucking it up. People keep sucking it up. I, you know, the team I actually do feel bad for. The team I actually – I mean, Georgia. I know I know why they're not in, but, I mean, Georgia's three points away from an undefeated season. I, but I know other people can make that argument. Hell, all Ohio State can kind of make that argument. But – we had we actually we had the chance for a really great eight to ten team playoff, didn't we? An eight eighteen playoff would have been fabulous this year. Been so exciting. Can you imagine a game to lead off with Michigan playing Ohio or not Ohio? Michigan playing Oregon. Yeah, in the first round that would be so exciting. You know, now we get Liberty in Oregon. Even then, yeah. Even then, I'd, I'd watch that. But no, 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 no. Anyway. That's enough. We won't we won't delve too much of that. We'll wrap it up then. <laughs> All right. Yeah, anything else? No. That's it. On behalf of our guest, Gavin Ashton. Good luck to Gavin this winter at Turfway. Alan Schneider, Brandon Jaggers, Jeff, Big Riggs. CC brought us reminding you in the words of our fearless leader, Jerry Romans. We're not happy unless you're not happy. Good night.